Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman. Joining us for a, a, an edition of Scout Talk, probably my favorite quarterback analyst out here, and and apparently now also my favorite Formula One analyst as well. Um, and you know, becoming probably the top writer in the space in the U.S. right here at SB Nation in F1. I had no idea, Mark, that you were an F1 guy. I Matt. Um... Yeah, it's I, as I was saying before we started recording, like motorsports, like NASCAR, IndyCar, F1, they've been a huge thing for me for, for years wow. now. I mean, I remember, you know, watching Dale Earnhardt Sr. Like in college, I had like jammed my thumb playing basketball. I was in the emergency room and I'm watching him at the Daytona 500. Like I've been a, a fan of motorsports. So yeah, it, it, it's been fun. I'll talk about that in a second. But first, congratulations to you, RSP. Well, thank you very RSP. much. It came out while I was on vacation with the family for spring break, and there's nothing better to read poolside than the RSP and a deep dive of quarterbacks, which, again, tremendous work, as always. For those of you that haven't gotten it yet, please do. It's 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 a must for me every single year. Um, but, yeah, Formula One. And, and it's interesting. There's 20 F1 seats in the world. There's 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So you're talking about that there's a weird parallel between – an F1 driver and the the skill, the reactions, the self-confidence. Like I did a piece this week about reaction times, right? You know, Australian Grand Prix, right at the start, Max Verstappen in P1, George Russell in P2, lights go out, and his reaction time, Russell's, is 0.19 seconds from wow. the lights going out to get it up to full speed. That's how we get the lead in the Australian Grand Prix. It's similar to life in the pocket, you know? Wow. And that supreme confidence in yourself like you have to have it to play quarterback you have to have it to be an f1 driver you have to have that belief that you're one of only 20 people in the world that can do this job and so i know it seems wildly different right about quarterbacks or right about f1 but there is some weird and i think intriguing overlap uh between them and then you might think it's wildly different right about these two different sports formula one and and the nfl there's a lot of X's and O's that go into it. There's a lot of strategy decisions that go into it. I mean, in the Australian Grand Prix, that uh, an early safety car yellow flag situation and George Russell, the race leader, comes into pit to switch tires because they're required to switch tires at least once during a race. And he thought he was going to get ahead of it. Carlos Sainz Jr. Ferrari did the same thing. But then a red flag came up. So in, in a blink of an eye, they went from making a great strategic decision to being completely bitten by it because now every team could come in and change tires. And so there's a lot of strategy stuff that goes into those as well. But yeah, I, I love motorsports. I love riding the boat F1. Um, it, it's a fantastic sport. And for those of you that might not be fans of it or are thinking about getting into it, I've got an F1 glossary over at SB Nation, which you can check out, which defines, I think, I, I get like 80 terms in there. It's, it's a pretty comprehensive look at it. You'll have three races in the States. Miami Grand Prix at the start of May, and then you've got the United States Grand Prix, and then the Las Vegas Grand Prix right in November, which maybe Vox will send me to. I don't know. Fingers crossed on that. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, but you're talking Saturday night on the Strip, you know, with 20 Formula One cars racing around Las Vegas, so that should be fun. But it, it, it's fun, but I'm not here to talk about George Russell. I'm not here to talk about Ferrari's reliability problems. I'm here to talk about why C.J. Stroud is my favorite player in this class. See, and that's awesome. And so we'll we'll switch from a tighter pocket to a, a slightly looser pocket, right, right. you know, to operate from. So are we in agreement that Young, Stroud, and Richardson are the most viable QB prospects? Or do you have a different list? Do you include more or do you take one out of there? 
No, I mean, those are the three for me. And had we done this show, say, a month ago, I would have had Will Levis in there for one simple reason. Prior to Carolina trading up to one, when they were sitting there at nine and it looked like they were going to have to settle for QB4, I thought, okay, that's where Will Levis ends up. And with everything the Panthers have put around the quarterback position from a coaching standpoint, from an experience standpoint, and a quarterback development standpoint, you look at Frank Wright, right? Say what you want about him, say what you want about Carson Wentz, but in 2017, he was part of the group that had Wentz playing like an MVP. Josh McCown, he was a coach slash quarterback in New York with the Jets, helping Sam Darnold. Like Jim Caldwell. You know, all do Staley, all the wisdom and coaching experience they put around the quarterback position. So if we had had this conversation before that trade, I would have said you could put Levis in that mix because he'll probably end up at Carolina. And that's the one spot where I think it could work for him. That's my comp. That was kind of my comp or distant comp for Levis was was Wentz. So yeah, I could see that as well. Exactly what yeah. you're saying. But like since that's erased now, like if he ends up at seven, to the Raiders, or as much as I respect Josh McDaniels, as much as I appreciate Josh McDaniels as a play caller, as a play designer, as a game script creator, I don't see a record of quarterback development there. And, and so, yeah, it's a narrow pathway for Levis now. And so, yeah, I mean, those are the three, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so for sure. And I. I you know when I we'll talk about Levis a little bit later I think in more detail but that's yeah to me Josh McDaniel developmental guy sounds like disaster I mean that's yeah. kind of like saying you know I don't know you know Will Smith decorum at award ceremonies you know I mean look maybe Tim Tebow is just a bad example but you know he did some things with Mac Jones last year, but like, I still thought he could have done more and he could have used him differently. And there was a lot of consternation in New England and, or, you know, around Foxborough that like they could have done more RPO stuff. They could have done more play action stuff with, with him. And so the idea that, you know, he's going to bring in Will Levis and get him to where he needs to be is a little bit more far-fetched. There's no sort of proof of concept like there is with the staff in Carolina. And so, yeah, I, I just – it's Stroud, it's Jonas Richardson. Those are the three guys that get me the most excited. So I expect those to be the three first three players taken, if not just the first three quarterbacks. Yeah, I would agree. And so we've – you know, Levis obviously has some nightmarish things that we could talk about. So what scares you the most about the three that we've established here? Like start off with whoever you want in whatever order you want to go. But what scares you each about Young, Stroud, and Richardson? Yeah, I mean, with Richardson, what might scare me the most, I mean, I mean there's two things. There's A, and there are long similar tracks. A is can the development, can what needs to happen, happen? in the NFL. Like, like we've seen this before with talented quarterback prospects that as talented as they are, we know that there are things that they need to work on, that they need to fix. Maybe it doesn't happen at the next level. Maybe wherever they end up, they're not going to be in a good place for that. Now, if he goes to Indianapolis, I think there's proof of concept that it could work. You look at what their new head coach did in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts, and you can see a path to where they put it together for him. And then sort of feeding off of that, a lack of creativity in, in his coaching staff, uh, 
a stubbornness and being set in their ways with how they're going to do things. Like those are things that worry me about Richards and making the leap to the next level that go beyond the things that we know he needs to fix his footwork and, you know, ball placement issues and things like that. And I think a lot of those are overblown, which I think we can talk about in a few minutes. I mean, with young, look, the, the easy thing to say is the frame, yeah, you know, the size. And there are isolated examples of him when he has opportunities to throw over the middle of the field where he either doesn't see it or doesn't throw it. Now, he attacks the middle of the field pretty well. I'm not too worried about him in terms of he never throws over the middle. He can't see over the middle. He does a very good job at creating throwing lanes, much better than some smaller NFL quarterbacks. that We've seen them in the past struggle with it. I mean, late stage, I'll say late in his career, Russell Wilson is an example of that, where at times he's not seeing the middle of the field. I, I think Young does a pretty good job of that. But that's Saturdays. What does it look like on Sundays? And the other thing, look, the frame is a concern. Like, he checked the box in Indy, 5'10 and 8th, 204, he checked the box. J.T. O'Sullivan was on with Mita Kimes this week and basically said, I was 30, 40 pounds heavier than him, and I felt beat up all the time, yeah. you know? Now, to his credit, Young does a very – it's Lamar-esque in a way, and J.T. O'Sullivan made this comparison as well, where he does a very good job at protecting himself. And you and I talked about Lamar a lot over the past couple of years about how – he evades contact. He protects himself. And Yun has learned that as well. But that frame is what it is. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that is the concern. With, with Stroud, I don't know. I honestly and, – and part of this is my own feelings towards Stroud because I am such a huge fan of his, like, like top to bottom. And, you know, I, I know going into the Georgia game, the concern was the lack of athleticism. He seems to have sort of checked that box. I think the one thing that worries me about him in a way, he talked a lot in Indianapolis about how, you know, he regretted not running more and not using his athleticism more. Does that continue, though? Does he pass up opportunities to create with his legs, to create as an athlete? On third and seven, does he pass up running to grass because he's so rooted and he was trained at such a young age. He talked about his youth football coach saying, you've got to be a pocket passer. Does he stick to that? Can Is he, he still free? that sort of, can yeah. he break free that? And what does it look like when he's not throwing to Ohio state receivers? Like that's another concern, right? Because he's thrown to some pretty talented receivers over these past couple of years. What's it like when, He's not thrown to the Olaves and the Wilsons and the JSNs and the Robert Harrison's juniors of the world. Yeah, good questions. I love I love those three thoughts. I mean, like for me, when I look at Young, the the thing that scares me beyond his frame, which I think is a terrific point, is red zone um, management. I I think that he is he can get way too risky in the red zone. And even backed up in his own area, he can do that too. He's made some good plays. He's made some even plays that are kind of smart, show some wisdom there. But I've seen more plays where he gets impatient or tries to force things that he really shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if that management is going to be an issue for him. And there's some, there's some decisions he makes that I would describe them as awesome, but they're awesome bordering on, did he really mean to do that? Um, and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he actually did because there's enough on his tape to think so. But there are a few throws I've seen in games where I go, I don't know. I mean, come on. That's like, that placement is like too 
good. Um, yeah. Two, that's like two, two. But do you get, and I'm not making the one-to-one comparison. I know. But do you get a similar Mahomes-ish vibe though? Because I, I remember watching Mahomes and we're like, all right, like yeah. that's not going to fly on Sundays. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Is it? And yeah. then here we are and it's flying on Sundays. Like, do you feel that like some of the stuff that you were worried about him getting away with on Sundays, he might still be able to get away with because of how talented he is? I think that there's some level to that. It's just that he doesn't have the gun that Mahomes has. Yeah. So it's yeah. a different style of guy, but I get the question, and I think it's a good one. Because I see him more in that Montana breeze sphere. Yeah, I mean, of, I think like, that's the like, thing. comp for him. As yeah. much as like, he comps, but yeah. Yeah, he's in that sphere of like style. But the Mahomes thing is a good point, and I, I could see that for for Richardson. I I would relate that the I would sum it up this way: just like the media and public say he's raw, and then like and that yeah, thank you, just thank you, because I feel like I'm the only voice. I haven't listened to JT O'Sullivan yet, so I don't know what he said. But no, the 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 he's raw argument is one. Like I talked to Derek Clawson. Um, by the yeah. way, football outsiders, fix your stuff. Yes. Okay? Fix As your stuff. As an alum, thank you for pay saying that. Pay your contributors, pay your staff. Like yeah. th- this is just wrong. Ken Hirschman, okay? you're the head of what you like, work like, you are president it. of HBO. You're president of HBO. Do you know what's going on there? Do you yeah. you yeah. maybe need to? You know, so Ken Hirschman. Uh, so quick little aside, out. football outsiders, like yeah. fix your house, get it in order. Yeah. Um, but talking to Derek Clawson at the combine, he's like, he's not raw. He just needs reps. Like he needs experience. Uh, Ted Wynn, uh, the athletic, Nate Tyson, the athletic in recent days have made similar arguments. And so I, I feel like that discussion is starting to turn. I haven't seen, like you said, JT O'Sullivan's thoughts on it, yeah. but it's not that he's raw. And what makes me believe that, watch his eyes. More times often than not, his eyes are where they need to be. It's his feet in a way that are almost slow to catch up. If it were sort of the inverse and like the eyes are slow, that would make me think, yeah, he's he's kind of raw. Yeah. No. Now raw to me, or it's a I've I've said it's a different kind of raw. Like yeah. he's inexperienced. That maybe sometimes he hasn't seen covered too disguised enough, or he 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 has a quick adjustment and forgets he's in cover two and he'll throw pick six or he'll try and make the heroic throw with the defender in his chest. And he's trying to throw something that Matt Stafford would have tried, you know, but, but when it comes to manipulating the flats in the middle of the field, he does that as well as anybody. Yeah, I was just, he had a throw against South Florida, second quarter, 943. It's a second and 20, where it's a flat seven smash to the right. They spin it from middle field close to middle field open. And he gets that flat defender to come down on the flat road yep. and then throws the corner on time in rhythm. Like, yeah, it's. He's done it. He did the same thing against Tennessee. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like three or four games where he does that repeatedly. It's yeah. and it's and it's fantastic. Like that and he's doing it oftentimes while he's climbing the pocket and keeping his feet under him. Where yeah. I mean the the integration of those skills, I've I've often I've overused this already, but I but I like the analogy. It's just like learning a language. If you went off, you know, you went off to a you went off to Vietnam to to stud, you know, study abroad and I went off, but say I had twice two to three times the amount of lessons um, than you did, 
but I'm not very talented in language. So, you know, in comparison to you, where I go and I've, but the school's provided us a translator and a guide so that we don't get lost. We don't end up getting ripped off too badly. We don't end up in a dangerous situation. And we can ask as many times as we want, can you please slow down? Even if we've been there for two to three years or two to three times longer than you're about to go, I'm still not making a lot of close friends who are from the people who speak the language who are natives to Vietnam because I'm not, unless they speak English, because right. the humor, the the ability to, to listen fast and not have to work so hard at it isn't there. Whereas you are kind of like the Anthony Richardson of this. You've, you're going, you've had six months of lessons. You go, you don't have, you don't have the app. You don't have a guide. You get lost a few times. You get ripped off a couple of times, but you also hear the language at the speed of a native speaker. You hear the emotion and get the emotion in it you can convey and communicate with that emotion and skill. And so there's going to be some misunderstandings because maybe you didn't get the cultural lessons of stuff, but because you communicate so well and you can pick up on nuance really well, you make more friends. You actually turn a dangerous situation into a funny one. You end up getting the better end of it. You end up actually becoming close with some people who otherwise would have ripped you off. But now they're showing you this is how you get all the great deals here because I like you. You're actually, you know, you're actually cool. So you end up like learning faster. And to me, that's where Richardson is. My fear is exactly like yours, where maybe an NFL team looks at him and says, we're it's just like corporate America where they're going to look at a guy and go, and I think this has happened with Lamar Jackson a little bit is you get the white savior mentality with coaches, just like you do in corporate America yeah. where they go, you know what? We're going to, we need some diversity hire. We're going to, we think you're good, but we think we're, we still think subconsciously we're doing you a favor. We're doing something progressive by hiring you. And, and some of the staff, maybe is not completely on board with that, who is going to be working with you. And they think they don't realize that what you have to bring is special in certain areas. And instead of embracing that, you're you're holding them back and then making them go through something that they don't need to go through to prove that. And part of it, I think that's going to be looked at as like you're raw, but not understand really the nuance of what that rawness right. is. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you could see it sort of playing out where it's like they're going to use him in like a college-style offense and, and just sort of hold him back where he needs to be let go. Yeah. Like, let him read stuff out from the pocket because he can do it. It's, yeah. it's, it's – I'm so glad you brought up the Lamar Jackson thing because it's – I'm looking at the book right now, Inside the Pocket, written by Coach Petrino – who, by the way, I wrote a column about Lamar in that book earlier this season. And the person, the co-author of that book reached out to me because I made the case that, like, I wonder if the title of this book was sort of a nod at the, like, criticism of Jackson coming out. And the co-author, like, sent a message to me. He's like, yeah, you might be onto something. <laughs> um, he didn't That's confirm awesome. it, but he just basically said you might be onto something. That's awesome. It's, it's a similar thing, right? Because the knock on Jackson couldn't run an NFL offense, couldn't make progression reads. And Petrino's entire book is just like, here's the offense he ran. Yeah. Like, like, these are the reads. Yeah. Tom Coughlin see... said it was one of the best, that Petrino's one of the best offensive minds in the yeah. NFL at the time Absolutely. he was there. Now, look, there's some other things going on with Coach Petrino, but put it together an offense, put it together a playbook. Like, yeah. he's great at it. 
uh, you could see a sort of similar sort of arc with Richardson, which is he can't do this stuff, so we're gonna like dumb it down down. for him and don't, don't, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like taking a it's like taking a great jazz musician and saying, well, because you haven't learned Bach, we're gonna start over in your career. It's like please just it's like shut up like it's like taking an f1 car and using it for trips at the grocery store like no 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 no. you're just or if i'm gonna be be an ass i'll say it's like it's like um it's like shouting from the mountaintops that you have an nfl caliber quarterback um or that kentucky has an nfl caliber quarterback before you ever get the job um after you've had a series of one-year stints as a quarterback coach and you still can't fix your quarterback's footwork so um, I yeah. wonder who that was about. Yeah, Rich Scangarello. But there we go. So <laughs> I don't really, under, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the guy. Maybe he's great. Maybe he's difficult to work with. Maybe he's incompetent. All I know is that the quarterback he's been talking about since before he ever got that job um, doesn't, still hasn't fixed the most fundamental part of his game. Yeah. And all I know is that everybody that seems to have come across him has not had good things to say. See, you're the, uh, there you go. So, you know, the Stroud. I think similar thing, just from a different end, is that Stroud, to me, the two things that I would kind of say I didn't like about his game, and there's not very much that I didn't like. I think he's the safest quarterback of the top three. Yeah. He 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 does have some confidence of processing passes where the defender's playing leverage over the top. Like, he doesn't seem, he doesn't seem comfortable with when and when not to throw that. And then I would argue this last one's the the one that I saw that ties into your point so well is when he broke the pocket, I would see plays on his tape where I go a top NFL quarterback, top NFL playmaker type of quarterback would make that throw and he wouldn't. And I would go, well, okay. The first time times I saw it like three or four times I go, Maybe he just knows himself and he knows what he can't do. And then you saw the Georgia game and I look at it and go, and then what you just said, maybe it's been trained out of him. And it's easy to say, you know, I wish I did more of this. I wish I was more like this. And there are moments that I can kind of be that way as a person or bring this out of my personality. Cause it's like being on, it's like being on a podcast. There are certain yeah. things that, the way you and I are that, you know, we gel and we've always had a good rapport, but maybe there's, you know, for me, maybe there's certain people that I work with where I would go, I wish I could bring that out with them in this scenario or in this situation. And I just can't or vice versa, you know, whatever it is. And you say you're aware of it, but you still can't do it. And that's, I think that's, perfect with where we're at with Stroud. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between being self-aware, and I think he's very self-aware about this and about sort of pre-draft criticism, but then doing it on a game-to-game, drive-to-drive, down-to-down basis. Like, And, you know, there are examples of him making some runs. He, you know, matches of third and fourth down runs prior to the Georgia game. And they're filtered in, but yeah. it's, it's, it's not like some of the – it's certainly not like Bryce Young. No. It's certainly like some of the moments we've seen from Richardson. It's not like some of what we've seen some of the, some of the other guys in this class who are more day three guys. And so, with the way that this game, with the way that the NFL is trended, with that emphasis, that almost prerequisite 
for athleticism and playmaking skills off of structure outside the pocket. Is he too much of a dinosaur in a way? Like yeah. that's the fear. Like I, I think he can do what he did at the Georgia game on a more comprehensive basis, but you don't have that sort of proof of concept that he has. Yeah, I think he can do it. He'll be able to do it just enough. And yeah, I, and know, that might be it. It's yeah. like just enough. Kind of like Gino yeah. and Kirk, you know, like yeah. those are guys yeah. that do it just enough, yeah. you know. So, so okay, so what are we excited about with each of these three guys? I mean, there's a lot to be excited about with a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, look, with, with Stroud, it's the ball placement. Like, you know, the job is to put the ball where it needs to be when it needs to be there. And it, it's it, his throw in session at Indy was a joy to watch. And even though he missed some throws, and my favorite sort of one-two segment for him was they were throwing comeback routes near the end of the throwing session along the right side. And they had a series of cones set up for the route. And you get three throws in a row. And, you know, the first one, Stroud throws it and he almost hits the cone along the sideline. But that's not where the receiver broke. And the next one was right where it needed to be. Like, he puts the ball where it needs to be. And there are, like you said, over-the-top leverage and things like that, where, like, yes, he could stand to get better at it. But, you know, that's one of 60 throws you might see in a game. Like, like everything else is pretty much where it's, – it's just I, – I know you use the sort of musical analogy. There is a rhythm to what he does as a passer, what he does as a drop-back throw or footwork on down that's so impressive. So the ball placement, like, regardless of coverage, leverage, whatever – absent some sort of isolated situations, he puts it where it needs to be. And I just love that about him. With Young, I think it's the creativity that he shows. It's probably an offshoot of what he's got, dealt with along the way as a smaller quarterback. Like, the ability to adjust arm, the ability to adjust, you know, throw in lanes, to create opportunities as a quarterback, as a passer. It's why one of the oft-used comparisons is Steph Curry or to, to basketball players because he's like a point guard that's creating opportunities, which he does so very well, and, and that's certainly exciting. With Richardson, it's the potential. Like, like That's what gets me the most excited because when you have a quarterback of his size, of his athleticism, people say, well, what is a, you know, what is a 4-4? What does the 40-and-a-half-inch vertical do for a quarterback? It's a huge thing. Because it's torque, it's explosiveness, it's the Josh Allen argument. I remember his rookie season at Lambeau Field. Allen threw an out route to the left side, and he stared at it and stared at it. And I'm sitting there watching it, like live, rewatching it, watching it slow motion. Like you got to get this out. I think you and profiled it, it on our side on the side here. Yeah, yeah. And at the last possible second, he uncorks an absolute rocket. It's because he has that torque. And it gave him that extra second and a half, which is an eternity in the pocket, to make sure he saw what he saw. That's what's going to help Richardson. And, and so the untapped potential, that's what I'm excited about. Man. Yeah, I'd, I'll start with Richardson and just say, the the to me, it's the pocket feel. I, I think he has fantastic pocket feel and and how he integrates everything in through that pocket feel. A lot of quarterbacks can't do that. Um, and so to be as big and as strong and as explosive as he is and to display that kind of pocket feel, I have a tough time thinking this guy's going to miss. I, I, I think he's going to be one of uh, – he's easily going to be worth his draft standing. Um, 
when it comes to Young, I think that he has a really good feel for coverage and how to adjust. And I think we're going to see that's a greater strength of his game than what we actually saw at Alabama. Um, I, th- I think that there's going to be, we're going to discover that that Bryce Young is really a heady player um, on a level beyond what we was even, a, I think, a good expectation, a solid expectation. And then with Stroud, I love his footwork. I, I think he has he has a just good, solid command with his feet, especially with his drops. Because like Bryce Young, you look at his drops, and that's something that needs work. Like I, if I look, unless they just keep him, they're going to probably keep him in the offense that he's in, or like a, a variant of that. But still, like his drop footwork is not traditional. I'll just put it that way. Um, but he gets the job done with Stroud. He can alter his drops, embed different movement within drops. He seems to be very aware of how he needs to use the pocket. Doesn't out out maneuver his um, his protection. Um, so he he really technically has a a solid grasp of what to do. And that's important for a young player because a lot of times we'll look at these young players who are really talented physically and they they are learning so much at a new level at the NFL that they the things that they're not solid on, they end up starting to deteriorate in their game. And you're like, I didn't really see that in, you know, at Missouri with Drew Locke, right. you know. But now that he's dropping back and doing this, he looks worse than he did at Missouri. And it's like, that's because if you're not, you don't have the the techniques ingrained, when the pressure of being in a new scenario arrives, the things that you're weak at start to show up and, they, and that foundation crumbles beneath you. And I don't think C.J. Stroud's foundation is going to crumble at all. No, I don't think so either. And, you know, it's that whole muscle memory aspect of playing the position where... No, if you haven't sort of set that foundation against Big Ten competition, SEC competition, it's going to be much tougher to do it on an NFL Sunday. Yeah, without a doubt. So what are some things that people don't realize about each of these three based on your film study that you would like to say, hey, understand this about their game? Yeah, I mean, with with Shroud, it's, you know, it's a, a lot of what we talked about. Okay. But I think... The ball placement starts pre-snap with him because he's very active in the sort of pre-snap phase, whether it's, you know, getting alignments right, protection aids, things like that. But it's also an understanding of what he's facing because then you see the decision-making post-snap so he knows exactly what coverages are, rotations are, leverage is going to be, and that sets him up to then put the football where exactly where it's supposed to be. And so... You know, it's easy to look at him. It's easy to watch him throw and say, you know, it's rhythmic, it's fluid, it's everything you want, and then he puts the football where it needs to be. He's so accurate. But I think a lot of it starts pre-snap for him. And so that's one thing I liked about him. With Young, I was kind of impressed looking through my notes. Peripheral vision. You know, seeing some boundary pressure looks pre-snap, some slot blitzes, some corner blitzes. And just simply, you know, you get a corner blitz off the edge, throw the hitter out. Like, replace the blitz with a ball. Because even very good to great NFL quarterbacks didn't have that in college, didn't have that coming out. I mean, yeah, I remember, you know, Deshaun Watson, for example, was always struggling with that. Um, 
even plays on the boundary where you get like you know trap coverage and things like that trevor lawrence threw a, a pick six i remember studying him on a trap coverage you know young's very good on the outside along the boundaries into the flats and i think that's important for a quarterback and then with richardson it's it's what we talked about with the eyes right the eyes tend to be where they need to be and so sort of lost in the discussion about his potential his athleticism the raw versus inexperienced argument his eyes which i think are much better than he's given credit for yeah i'm i think we've i think we've made our case about richardson enough that i don't need to say anything more on that end um and i would agree with you about young for sure what i would add about with stroud is I like that he can release from different platforms, and I think yeah. that he works inside out very well against yeah. pressure. Um, so those are two things that, uh, you know, that I feel like that are going to aid him in in an NFL environment that's a little bit, um, you know, that's going to be more difficult than what he saw in college. So, you know, I guess we've already answered this question, but we'll we'll. Well, we can we can go short on this if we want to, but is there any logical comparison between Malik Willis and Anthony Richards strictly as passers? It's not the no. same universe, is it? No, no, <laughs> it, 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 it's not. And perhaps my answer to this is Richardson learns from mistakes. Richardson will get, you know, he'll force a throw into coverage. He'll do, he'll make a mistake. You won't see it again, or if you do, it, it's slightly different. I mean, you look at Willis, and there's an example of him thrown into coverage on a similar route concept over and over and over again and not sort of learning from his errors. Life's about failure. You know, I, I, I'm saying this more as a, a dad right now than you know, a quarterback analyst. But you're going to make mistakes. How you learn from them, or frankly, if you learn from them, is a part of your growth or lack thereof. And I think Richards' ability to see a mistake and not replicated or not duplicated or, or or at least learn something from that is going to be huge for him. So yeah, I don't see a, a parallel as passers at all. Yeah. Side note that I'm going to take a little tangent here and to anybody who's listening, who is an aspiring writer or aspiring, aspiring draft Nick and, and draft analyst, listen, you already kind of know this, but I think it's worth just saying from a reassuring place, you're going to get banged on for your mistakes. You're going to have, people who are going to remind you of all the players that didn't hit for you um, at various times. They're going to say you're no good because of those types of things. But if you are diligent about the work you do and you approach, you embrace the mistakes you make by understanding the more than anything, not just like look going back and looking at the player or trying to figure out how to make something better about what you do but just understanding that sometimes you just let it go and go i'm going to learn from this in one fashion or another if i'm open to the idea that i'm going to keep doing this don't get discouraged even if you get people who make a living basically banging on other folks because that's all they know how to do and that's the only talent that they have is being glib and having that kind of thing they like playing the heel. That's their deal. Um, and that's the, that's the thing they're good at. Um, if, you, if that's what you deal with occasionally from folks out there, don't worry about it. I can, I can tell you, you're going, if you continue to put forth the honest effort to learn, you're going to get better and you're not going to end. 
those you're going to learn even more valuable lessons and get there faster than being afraid of what people are going to say or what's going to happen if you if you take the risks that you need to take and the risks really are they're really not a risk other than if you're worried about what other people think to me if you're worried about other people think you're being too risky the safest thing to do is not worry so much about what other people think and go your path and you'll learn faster and then and you'll understand better where your mistakes are and where your successes are nfl teams get it wrong yep armed with all of the imaginable information you can conjure up in your brain like if you could sit down with their kindergarten a, a prospect's kindergarten teacher you can't do that an nfl team can like and armed with all of that information nfl teams get it wrong and, and so those of us in the sort of media evaluation space and the, the analysis space it's understandable that we make mistakes i make mistakes all the time josh rosen qb1 that immediately comes to mind. Like I wildly missed on, on that. Um, you know, there are things that I wish I had done better. I mean, I remember writing the piece why Justin Herbert has a case for QB1 at mattwaldmanrsp.com, but yet I didn't go there. Like, and I wish that I had at times. Um, but you have to be able to sort of look, accept that there are going to be mistakes, accept that there will be criticism. It, it, it's, it's a space filled with it. But then learn from it. You know, I missed wildly on Dak Prescott, and I sort of didn't account for his competitive toughness, which I had in my notes. Didn't really account for it, didn't give it the weight I should, and I applied that to other quarterbacks going forward, other quarterbacks that have gone on to very good NFL careers um, because of it. And so, you know, you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be, you know, criticism and things like that. It, it sort of comes with the territory, but – Understand that as long as you sort of stay true to what you're doing and, and, you know, learn from some of those mistakes and you're going to be better off in the long run for it. So so what are some things that with each of these where you think there's going to be reasonable expectation for them to get better at their craft? I mean, with Stroud, it's the Georgia game, right? Like, it, like it's the, okay, it, that was the big question and he answered it. And there's now proof of concept. Forget people like us. For him. And I, I think that's the important thing because not that, you know, greater Boston League high school football in the 1990s is any sort of, you know, parallel to playing Georgia in the, you know, championship playoff semifinal. Um, I was never the guy that would, I, I was more of the pocket guy. Like, I wanted to stay and make throws from the pocket. And I never learned to get beyond that. If I sort of had, Maybe things could have been a little bit different for me in my own little, you know, journey. So now that he has in his mind that proof of concept that he can do this and he can do this against Georgia on that stage, against that defense and those athletes, maybe it gives him that ability to sort of break free, like you said, to say on a third and seven uh, against the Baltimore Ravens next year when it's looking a little cloudy in the secondary, but he sees that flash of green that he's going to pick it up. Or like you said earlier, when he breaks the pocket and sees, oh, I got that corner out sort of breaking open, I can throw that. I don't have to check this down in this situation. So I think that's uh, a reason why he could sort of go beyond and be even better in the NFL. You know, with Yun, I think a lot of it is the trend of the game. 
with the way the game is progressing, with the way the game is evolving and changing to where the fact that we're talking about a 5'10", 204 quarterback with a smallish frame is potentially the first overall pick and the future and face of a franchise for the next 10 years, that's all possible 10 years ago, eight years ago, five years ago. The game's trended towards the Bryce Youngs of the world and potentially away from the C.J. Strouds of the world in a sense. Um, so I, I think there's a belief and an expectation that an NFL offense, an NFL coaching staff is going to see what he can do well. And for those of us like you and me that have batted on for years about, you know, cater your offense, structure your offense to what your players do well, the NFL seems to finally be catching up to that idea. They'll do that for Bryce Young. And so, like you said, there's a belief that he could be better at the next level because of that. And then with Richardson, it's almost similar in a way. The idea that the NFL has moved in this direction, that the NFL is going to look at his skill set, that an NFL coaching staff is going to understand some of the strengths in his game that we've talked about and highlighted and say, look, look, we can do this the right way. We don't have to turn him into a, here's one route, one route only, and if it's not there, run it. Like, we don't have to do that with them. We're going to give them our full playbook, full field progression reads, let them read stuff out, let them read rotations and things like that, give them one, two, three, four, five on a route structure and let them go. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's what excites me the most about him is that an NFL coaching staff is finally, after all these years of us saying it, going to put specifically Young and, and Richardson into offenses and just let him go. Yeah, and Will Hewlett, the quarterback coach who yeah. worked with Brock Purdy last year, he worked with Anthony Richardson this year. He told me in February after, um, after talking with him, he said, listen, Anthony Richardson has is elite as a learner when it comes to translating the whiteboard to the field. He said he is probably one of the, he's the, he's an elite learner and one of the most, he's different. He said he's a different guy and in that area as better than anyone I've ever worked with or, and so that's a, that's a pretty strong endorsement. You yeah. Know. So, you know, and I know that he's worked with, um, he, he worked a little bit with Trevor Lawrence last year off, off during the offseason. So, you know, it's a pretty glowing endorsement about, again, learning from mistakes, being able to be able to give him the offense and let him go. I think for Richardson and, and Young, it's similar in that it's footwork. You know, it, they can improve their footwork, be a little bit more technically sound and crisp. And I think that comes, that makes sense. With Richardson, it's about inexperience. And the more you can leverage that and get that tightened up, you know, the eyes are there, the feet are a little bit behind, you know, which is funny because it was the opposite with Jameis. It was yeah. like the, you know, it was like the, absolutely, the, you know, so you, you could see that this is going to be fascinating from that perspective. With Stroud, I think it's, he's got some inconsistency with placement decisions. Again, that I talked about that they're just inconsistent. There's some plays he makes really good that are their tight window placements and they're confidently thrown um, with coverage over the top. And then there are some where you, you just wish he had that one back. Um, so I think he's only going to get better in that regard. All right. So where do you want to see these three in the NFL? I think Richardson to Indy makes a ton of sense, you know, just because of, you know, Shane Steichen and, what he did in Philadelphia with Hurts. I think there is some natural sort of overlap. Um, I 
as much as I'm excited about the idea of Stroud in Carolina, I think Young to Carolina makes a lot of sense just because of the amount of coaching that they've put around the position, like we've talked about. I think there will be a more open and free exchange of ideas of how to use Bryce Young. And I think that would set him up for success. I I, I think if you sat Frank right down and said, look, who do you want? He'd probably say Stroud. I feel like that's the kind of quarterback that he wants. Yeah. But I think with everything they've got in place, they will come up as a coaching staff, as a group, with the best way possible to put Yon in a position to be successful. And I think that's most conducive to his success. Um, and, and Stroud, honestly, anywhere. I mean, I, I think, like you said, he's the safest, he's the cleanest sort of evaluation of, of the group. I mean, I think it could work for him in Houston. I think it could work, honestly, in, in Las Vegas with the Raiders. As much as I don't know if Josh McDaniels has a proven track record of quarterback development, it might not matter with Stroud. And when you look at the way he's sort of structured his offenses in the past with an emphasis on ball placement, decision-making, you know, putting the football where it needs to be, when it needs to be on time, it with really maximizing yardage after the catch, like that's Stroud. And so I, I think that could certainly work. And so while I think Stroud would be successful anywhere, I, I think by sort of default here, Las Vegas makes sense. Yeah, I agree that Las Vegas would be, that would be the best case for Las Vegas is to get Stroud. Yeah, that's yeah. That's probably more than, that's probably the way I would phrase it. Um I agree with you about Carolina and um, Young. That that would make a lot of sense. I would love to see that. Um, as far as Richardson goes, you know, there's a part of me just would love to see him in Detroit, and like, and I know that's not going to happen, likely, but like, I'd like to see him Detroit. Maybe get to sit a year. Um, I mean, Detroit, Seattle do make a ton of sense. Um, you know, just yeah. because it's an opportunity. For teams that you don't expect, you know, Detroit's done such a great job at sort of improving their roster. Seattle, you know, Schneider and Carroll talked about it a lot at the combine, basically saying, we're not used to picking up this high. This is an opportunity. Even though, look, Geno Smith played incredibly well last yeah. year. And he earned that deal. And I'm so goddamn happy for him. Yeah. Um, this is an opportunity for Seattle to perhaps set themselves up for the next 10 years. That's, and um, that's kind of, to me, it's like, give the guy a year. Give the guy a year. I mean, he. I don't think he needs it no, relative no. to the other guys. But if he can get it, why not? It's like it was like with Mahomes and it's Alex. It's like the Mahomes argument. Yeah, yep. do do that. But and then there's a part of me that I know that you know maybe from your perspective, I think you're going to laugh when I give this one. But I would love to see him in Tennessee. Um, it, mainly because it, it would be nice to see them. <laughs> Just say, you know what? We made a mistake with Malik Willis. Or we, we you know, they didn't really make one because they didn't draft him in the first round. You know, right. you know, was a, what was he, a third round pick? Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Take take Richardson. Say, you know what? Mea culpa, we're not, you know, we, we know what Willis is for us. Josh Dobbs played pretty well down the stretch. <coughs> um, if you, whether it's Tannehill or Dobbs or whoever they got right now, I haven't checked lately. Um you know, I, I and part of this is because I want to see a grass field. I want to see a, a good run game, um, a team that under you know. There's something about that that I think 
if Vrabel can kind of let go and say, all right, let's cater our off. Let's get someone who can cater, you know, to what the quarterback does well. We're okay. But I, there's a part of me that's also kind of fearful that that would be the exact situation that would go completely wrong. You know, if he wound up in Tennessee and then as a, and then just as a, as a Homer, I'd like to see, I'd like to see him in Cleveland, but there's no way that that would ever happen in a million years with what they've got going no. on. But that's just my desi- that's my fantasy I mean, desire to to right the wrongs of what that what happened there. Atlanta could work too. Atlanta really could work. Um, yeah. I but again, that's also saying we don't believe in Desmond Ritter, you know. Yeah. And then, and what if one party party does believe in him, but the party that drafted him doesn't, you know? Yeah. So it's a, yeah, but those are fascinating thoughts. So now that we've kind of given some thoughts about some of those guys, let's talk, take a look at some other guys and round out this show. Herndon Hooker, are you yay or nay on him as a future starter? I'm more of a nay just because I feel like he's maybe three years ahead of his time because you look at that offense at Tennessee. And it's, you know, very much an offshoot of Art Browse and what he's doing at Baylor with some air raid stuff and things like that mixed in. But you see examples of it's like one route and that's it. Or like two routes to one side of the field and the other guys aren't even doing anything. Like maybe at some point that offensive philosophy sort of creeps its way into the NFL, but it's very similar to the sort of pre-Mahomes discussion about air raid quarterbacks, right? Where it's like, yeah, that's great on the Big 12 on a Saturday afternoon in Norman, Oklahoma, but that doesn't translate to what we're doing up here, my friend. Now that stuff is. Like you, you see air raid influences, and all the teams have air raid concepts in their playbooks, and air raid quarterbacks are having a lot of success in the NFL. Mahomes is not the only one. But now this is the next step in that evolution, and I don't know if the NFL is ready for it yet. But at some point, the Josh Heupel coaching tree is going to start working its way into the NFL. And with the success of Tennessee's offense, you're going to see more colleges running that offense very similar to the air raid, where they're looking at, okay, this is a great way to, you know, put pressure on defenses, use tempo, put the quarterback in a position to be successful. You're going to see more offenses, more colleges sort of doing that, which means more prospects from that background, more coaches from that background start working their ways up. And and so I think while there are things to like about Hooker, and I do think that there's some truth to the idea that he might sneak into the first round, you know, Detroit at the end of the first round, Minnesota is a team that's been linked to him. I just think he's more sort of three years ahead of his time. If he were coming out, say, six, you know, three or four years down the road, it's probably a more viable option because there would be more pathways. And so... Yeah, I'm more of a nay on that. Yeah, I'm more of a nay too. I think he can be, I think he can become a solid backup. Yeah, and I think that he may even give you some decent games as a backup. But when I look at him right now, I mean, beyond what you just pointed out, I would say he's a little late. He's a he's a he's a bit too late sometimes, especially in the area of the field where he's considered a strength, which is being a vertical thrower. Yeah, um, he's. He's kind of speaking of you know Art Briles influenced players. He athletically he reminds me a little bit of a less explosive Robert Griffin in the sense that he's a little stiff. He's he he's not a great mover. He's he's fast in a straight line, but he's he doesn't really have a lot of bend to him. And I see him in awkward situations where I see him 
getting taking punishment that he really shouldn't take. Um, so when you put all that, to, when you put that together, I I like him in the way that he's a he's an NFL caliber quarterback. I don't think he's an NFL caliber starter, and yeah. and that's, he's that's near that line. All right, so Will Levis. What is the deal with Will Levis from your standpoint? And I think, and I want to thank you also for two things. First, the sanity that I am hearing about Hooker because it's the first person I've heard outside of like my the own voice in my head getting out of the RSP cave on Hooker um, with that. Um, second of all, just a tangent. I love the T-shirt, man. The car feels like it's driving right at me. The old Bruce Springsteen, beautiful. Beautiful. Went to uh, I, I saw we my wife and I my wife got Springsteen tickets for me for my birthday back in January and so we went um, what was it March seventeenth God March seventeenth March twenty seventh I forget when it was I think it was March twenty seventh or either the twentieth we went a couple weeks ago to see Springsteen and it's a religious experience my friend uh, yeah, like is. just an absolutely absolutely at his age like. Show started at 7.30. He took the stage at 7.50. We walked out of there almost 11 o'clock. And it's just nonstop. Like, he doesn't take breaks. Like, there's no long, like, drum solo for him to catch his breath. It is, like, a relentless show. So, absolutely, absolutely incredible. So, yeah, huge huge shout-out to, to Springsteen there. Um, Will Levis. Man, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> they, you can see glimpses. Yeah. You can see flashes. You can see moments where you know at the end of April on Thursday night, an NFL in a conference room at a stadium, a coaching staff is going to say, we can do that. We can fix that. You get him into our offense. You get him into our system with our talent, our athletes. We can get him to look like he was – not this past season, but the year before when he had some first-round talent around him. We could fix him. Coach him up, Itis, right? Like you like to say. But, man, like like I said at the outset, if we were talking Carolina at nine, I'd be like, okay, th- th- this could work. Uh, James Danner, my dear friend over at SBNation.com, he's a Panthers fan, and we were telling him for the past couple of months, like, if you guys end up with Levis, it's going to be okay. It's going to be like they can fix him. Now I just don't know. And there are some, like, you you go through this process each year and you have plays that stick in your mind. And one of Jaron Hall taking a safety against Notre Dame. It's just like, man, what are you thinking in that moment? Levis had a moment like that against Mississippi where it's like you've driven them down. You've got them into range. Like, what are you doing in that situation? Your clock's going to be better. Like, and this is not your first rodeo, my friend. What are we, what's happening here? Now, multiple offensive quarters in multiple years, losing some talents. Like, like I understand why he's going to end up going in the first round, why he's going to end up going early in the first round. But I saw a Twitter discussion. I think it was Bruce Nolan of Buffalo Rumblets or somebody on social media was basically like, who are the players in this draft that like you would just rather somebody else's team make that decision? Levis is that guy. Yeah. Like I was going to pose the question to you in as a new England Patriots fan, which AFC um, East team do you want most to take the take Levis, you know? And I mean, it's the New York Jets in a heartbeat. Yeah. 
I mean, just because you know, you know, Buffalo's not going to draft a quarterback. But yeah. like, let the let the Jets miss out on Aaron Rodgers. Absolutely torch the bridge with Zach Wilson. Decide to try to fix it with with Will Levis. You know, that would make me feel a little bit better as a Patriots fan because, you know, honestly, the Jets terrify me right now. That entire division terrifies me. Yeah. You know, with what we've seen with Mike McDaniel down in Miami, obviously the Buffalo Bills and how talented they are. If the Jets just got stable, competent NFL, not even NFL average, NFL below average quarterback play last year, they're a playoff team with the talent they have. You know, you drop Rodgers into that and obviously, you know, they could be very good. You go down the Will Levis road, however – it's a little bit of a different story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, look, he's got a great arm. And he was hampered this year by injuries, too. Like, there are a lot of things that an NFL coach and staff in front office is going to be able to explain away on a Thursday night three weeks from now because that's when we're doing yeah. the show. Um, but it's like you say, it's like Dan Hatman likes to say all the time. Like, like I remember when, when we did the, uh, the Davis Mill show with Dan, and he would talk about how – when we were studying, he brought up the point, like you walk into your quarterback coach's office, your offensive coordinator, can you fix this stuff? Most coaches are going to say, of course I can, because if they say, no, I can't, they might get fired. I mean, that's a job security decision right there. Uh, It's a business decision. And so an NFL coach's staff in front office is going to say, yeah, we can fix this guy. We can explain away X, Y, Z, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3 of all the reasons why this might not work. We can fix them. And somebody, yeah, you need somebody in that office to say, Okay, I'm going to ask you that question. Uh, you ask the question, you go, but do you want them? That's just it. You do, do you want to go through this? Do you, want, like, do, do you yeah. want to put in the work that's necessary? Again, I, I keep coming back to it. Carolina at nine? Yeah, okay, look, we got a fixed quarterback position. We have put ourselves in a position where we might have the opportunity to pull this off. We could do it. But now, I don't know. Yeah. I, just, I just look at guys, to me... Maybe it's superficial, but how bad the footwork can be with him. You know, I've been talking about this a lot on different shows this week about how the midline of the back foot is not even as as where the target (laughs) is and not where it's going to be. The front toe is completely to the opposite side of the field. And then as he makes the throw, his feet like, like pivot in the middle of the release to try and get it right. And I'm sitting here watching this, and I and I keep seeing he's built his body up a la Brady Quinn. You know, he's he has a quarterback, NFL quarterback coach in Rich Scangarello. Um, and, and I keep thinking, how do you not, how do you not fix that? How do you not even get close to fixing that? And then I see, I think of players who needed a lot more time who were more talented than him, who were better processors of the field than him, um, who've failed out of being NFL starters. And so that's my biggest concern with Will Levis is that, that I just think the things that he needs to fix, if he hasn't gotten them done by now or made progress on them, I, I think, you know, any, any expectation to draft him as a future starter is, is really going to be a painful experience for your football team. Yeah. Now, um, now, this stuff can get fixed. Like, it can. It's possible. It can. But it's a tough thing to do. Yeah. And we've seen over the years, whether it's upper body mechanics, lower body mechanics, footwork, it's one thing to get it ready for the start of training camp. 
it's another thing for it to stick through training camp and into the actual season. You know, you mentioned it earlier, sort of what's it going to look like when you've got the pressures of an NFL pocket in your face? Where did the muscle memory argument, like he could work from now until the start of training camp. I remember Blake Bortles every single year. Oh man, he's tightening it up. That throw in motion is exactly where it needs to be. And he's looking great. He's on his pro day and he's a training camp and he's throwing drills and it looks fantastic. First third and 70 faces and the arm is down here. Yep. Like it just, your mind does it. It just, that's just the way the mind works as somebody that's been in there on a division three Saturday, which doesn't really count. And so for Levis, this footwork thing that's all over the place, like you brilliantly highlight, he can fix it until that first third and seven. Yeah. So who are some guys that are faves for you in this class after these top three and, and then beyond hooker and Levis? It's a weird group after these guys, right? Like, <laughs> and you and I are usually, we've joked about this offline. We've joked about this on shows. We're the guys that pick up the sword and the shield for Game of Thrones, you know, you know, trial by combat for the lower round guys. Like, we yeah. usually do that. It's an interesting group. Um, I like Jake Hayner just because, look, it used to be the Colt McCoy guy each class, right? Well, you know, if nothing else, this guy's going to stick for 10, 15 years. Now it's the Taylor Heineke, right? Yeah. Who's another guy that I kind of like. That's the feel I get. Competitive toughness. I mentioned the Dak Prescott angle. He's the competitively tough guy. That UCLA story. game in the fourth quarter last year. That's all you need to see. Twenty twenty one was is guy's like, hip is like broken. We may need to we may need to come back and just watch that together and yeah. and explain that to people because that was yeah. a fantastic. That was an absolute thing. gutty, gutty, gutty like everything gut check type of moment from a quarterback on that stage and, and talking to people that were on the other sideline. They're like, yeah. Yeah, that was impressive. And, and so, you know, Jake Hanner's one for me. I, I really wanted to like Jaron Hall, and there are still some things that I like. He seems at times, like, impervious to pressure. But that's a double-edged sword, like I just talked about, because yeah. you have that sort of, you know, safety against Notre Dame. Um, you know, but there are times when it's like multiple points. There was a play, I, I can pull it up on my notes, but he's got a flash of pressure off the left edge, and it's just like – subtly climbs in the pocket, doesn't even move his eyes and makes a throw. So there are things to like about him. But the two that I'm sort of the most intrigued by are Malik Cunningham as a long-term developmental prospect. Like, you know, might need like two years, but there's some DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I, I, I sort of like a lot about his game. Yeah. Obviously athletic, a very explosive athlete. You see that on the velocity. And look, Chip Kelly's offense didn't ask him to do a ton, but like there are some things like a lot of mirrored concepts in half field reads, but there are some things that he does in terms of throws against others. Like he had a throw early against Colorado where he's moving his eyes right to left and puts a throw post route for six on a sort of post wheel concept velocity, good placement. You know, he does a lot with timing and rhythm that you wouldn't sort of expect from somebody in that kind of offense with this, sort of skill set and for a team like say seattle that if they're sitting there and they're at five and the first four go you know or they don't like levis and he's the one that's available for them at five and they don't go the hooker route dtr later in the draft makes a ton of sense to me yeah i like i like dtr too chad Ryder is a big fan of him as well yeah um, yeah i know that and 
And I, I told, I haven't seen Malik Cunningham yet. That's the guy that I've got to study that I didn't. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm a, I'm a Stetson Bennett fan. Um, I, I think that his feel in the pocket's pretty good. He's, he's a slot receiver in terms of quickness. Um, yep. So he can move around. I think he's got a stronger arm than people realize. Um, maybe it's not, you know, a franchise caliber arm by any stretch of imagination, but I think it's strong enough. Um, I think he processes the, he has moments of process in the field that are really promising. Um, yep. So I'm, I'm a fan there. Um, and he makes some ballsy throws. Like there. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. yeah. Stetson, I think, has become a meme, a punchline. Like, I've done it, right? Where you're watching Georgia on Saturday. It's like, man, that's the best Audi dealer ever. And he's dealing in the pocket right now, <laughs> right. right? You know, Spencer Hall, uh, every day should be Saturday. He's talked about him, you know, someday selling, you know, the Stetson Bennett Audi dealership. Yeah. Um, at Georgia, obviously, there was a ton of talent. They didn't ask him to do a lot. Right. But when they asked him to do things, he did them pretty well. Yeah. Like attacking the middle of the field on drive concepts and dagger and things like that. He's driving throws into the middle of the field that other quarterbacks, other quarterbacks in this class, other quarterbacks who will probably get drafted ahead of him aren't, aren't making. Yeah. Like, and, and so that was impressive. And I know one of the touchdowns was a wide open coverage bus situation against Ohio State, but he kind of went toe to toe with Stroud in that game. Yeah. And, and so. I think he's sort of that, you know, tough gamer, can do a little bit more. And I, I think the meme ability of Stetson Bennett has kind of undercut the fact that he can play the position fairly well. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like to me, he's that guy that, you know, they're gonna look we're gonna look at the hookers and the and the Levises and and the Clayton Tunes and and guys who have like traits, you know, the physical traits and guys like Hayner and Bennett to an extent are might have longer careers, even if they're not yeah. like viable starters for sure. And if no. nothing else, like you mentioned it, you know, you mentioned it. And I'm just going to say, look, you look at the New England Patriots and you look at what they've done over the years and you look at, say, pick 184, 187. If he's Julian Edelman 2.0, like yeah. it could happen. I that mean, like you said, slot receiver quickness, like – you know, obviously he was, I'm pretty sure, no, he was in the first quarterback group, but he ran well. He tested well. Yeah, yeah, that's funny, but that's true. Then, yeah. and my third guy is Tyson Bajan. Um, now, the big unknown about him is, is all that going to translate from where he's playing in, at, right. at you know, Shepard? But I liked his intermediate accuracy. I liked how he moved in the pocket. The athletic ability seems to be there. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of what I've seen with him and I'd like to see if that can translate, but I'll tell you what translates every time having Mark Schofield on this, this show, you know, it's just always so much fun to get to visit with you, my friend, and, and especially get to pick your brain about the quarterbacks in this class. Um, you know, I know that folks are going to have you know, if you got to the end of this, I know you enjoyed this show and I know most of you are going to. Um, so thanks again, Mark. Anything you want to share with folks about what's going on with you that, that they, they need to check out um, over at I mean, SB Nation? Just a Fox? couple of things. Okay. Buy the RSP. 
please, 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 please go buy the RSP. Like, if you learn anything from the show, it's that you need to have the RSP. Um, it's always an honor to be here, my friend. It, it's it, you're one of my dear, dear friends in this industry. Likewise, and man. Every time we get to do a show, you know, we say we're going to start at a given time, but we just block out two hours because we know <laughs> well from the show itself and the, the the information we talk about and the discussions we have and to talk before and after and just catch it up it, it, it means the world to me our friendship over the years and so i can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me um espionation.com look we're gonna have the draft covered of course but look we get baku azerbaijan at the end of april um the, the teams are gonna have this extended break between the Australian Grand Prix and the next race because of the cancellation of the Chinese Grand Prix. So we're going to have some F1 coverage for you as well. We're doing some golf stuff over at Espionage. We're doing baseball. I'm writing about Shoei Otani. I mean, they're letting me spread my wins over at uh, Espionage. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I'm enjoying it. But I, Matt, I, that, that, that my dear be. friend, I can't thank you enough. So then I have to ask you this because I don't know much about F1, but I did watch the Ron Howard movie about F1 years ago. And I remember Lauda from years ago. So what yeah. kind of so who who's the quarterback equivalent of Lauda as a drive as he was as a driver? Brady instantly comes to mind. Really? Wow. Yeah, okay. I think so. I mean, but yeah, I mean the Nicky Lauda, I mean, just an absolute titan. Absolute titan um in F one. Um but yeah, I mean that was a that was a tremendous that movie. mental toughness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you know, it's you know, it, it it's a life or death sport. I mean, it, it very much is. Um, and to, to be able to, you know, push that aside. I mean, to go to a place where few human beings can go, um, which is why, you know, I have the utmost. It's part of the reason why I appreciate motorsports in a way, because that's a mental fortitude and toughness that I know I could never, never reach. Um, Roman Grosjean, for example, uh, for Haas, he had a horrific crash, but, he, you know, he's back driving. Um, he had a horrific crash um, a couple of years ago where he was probably seconds away from just burning up alive, but he was able to climb out and, you know, he had to come back from that. But to be able to do that, it's just a, a – and it's, again, like I talk about that sort of similarity between quarterback play and, and being an F1 driver. Like, you have to kind of have a screw loose to do both. Like, you know, to be able to stand in the pocket with the Aaron Donalds and the Vaughn Millers – of the world and just know that you are going to get pulverized, but you have to stand in the pocket and take that to do your job. You know, it, it's to be able to go to those kinds of places as a human being, as an athlete always impressed me. And so, yeah, that's awesome. Well, folks, thanks again for listening to us. And um, we'll be back again, probably soon down the line. We got to finish our game of Thrones tournament. So we'll we do, we yes. do. I, I've got that right here, ready to go. I got my notes and everything. See something to look forward to. See y'all.